Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A very good Friday morning to you and while it might be a cloudy morning this morning I have to thank uh, Michael in Castletown Bear Michael O'Sullivan for sending me on just a stunning video that he has taken just earlier this morning uh, in Cahirmore on the tip of the Beira Peninsula and he says uh, thank God that we can enjoy it and it just is glorious and actually well there's it, there is some cloud in the sky the sun is also managing to break through as well it's absolutely Absolutely beautiful. You are truly blessed uh, to live in such a beautiful neck of the woods out on the Bear Peninsula. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. And good to see that you're out nice and early uh, enjoying the what is fine weather and long, long may it last. We can't really complain about the weather during this the month of October. It has been reasonably OK and certainly milder than it normally is at this time of the year. Welcoming you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls. 1850 333 103. You can text our WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. And going through the papers this morning, every single paper I opened has a photograph of the portrait of the HPV campaigner Laura Brennan smiling out at me. And you possibly saw it last night because all of the news bulletins carried this story. The fact that there is this gorgeous painting, such a lifelike painting of the late Laura Brennan and it will now forevermore hang at the Royal College of Physicians in Dublin and the Royal College of Physicians decided to have the painting commissioned and to hang it on their hallowed walls by way of it as a tribute to Laura for all of her work and when I was watching her parents and how emotional her parents were you know and her, her family even saying what you know what a fitting tribute to Laura even though she was very very unwell it didn't stop her with her campaign to get other young girls and young women to take the HPV vaccine. And really, a lot of 
what happened with that particular vaccine can be attributed to Laura because when she got diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer she was in school and it was the year after she left was the rollout of the HPV vaccine and I remember her so many times saying if she could only have got that vaccine she would be alive uh, today and then she was diagnosed with terminal cancer but it didn't stop her she really wanted to get the message uh, out there and no matter how how unwell she was. Her voice was probably one of the strongest. I mean, every doctor under the sun could be telling young girls about the need to take the particular vaccine. But here was somebody who young people could identify with and you were watching the face of somebody who clearly was unwell and who clearly was dying, but it, it just did not stop stop her. And she became such an amazing advocate uh, for HPV uh, vaccine. And I think it was in kind of the low 30% of young girls were actually getting the vaccine when Laura started her uh, campaign. And, and by the time she passed away, that figure was well up at 80% and still is uh, today. It's up in the 80s, the amount of young people that... that that uh, take the the vaccine. So she, you know, because of that, the Royal College of Surgeons uh, decided it was only fitting that she should hang with all of the other great physicians who have done amazing work over is it the three hundred years that the college has been there, and there's only ninety five portraits uh, to date. So they don't just pick anyone to have their portrait painting and hung on the walls. And of course, as we heard in the news uh, yesterday, she's the first non doctor to hang on the walls, and only the third woman as well. So her, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful painting. I have to say it was painted by Catherine Craney. Stunning. I mean, it, it almost looks like a photograph. It is so uh, real. And her family, I felt for her parents yesterday, bless their hearts, but yet they were so proud of her. And, you know, it, it got me thinking when I saw Laura, because, you know, you look at Laura in any photograph, you now even that portrait that you see, you straight away think of what she did for the vaccine uptake and her message to get her message out to tell people how important it was to take the HPV vaccine. And here we are still battling, unfortunately, in this country to get people to take the vaccine. Vaccine. And I know yesterday there was a lot of calls in and a lot of people were very angry and it was almost like we had a war going on between the vaccinated against the unvaccinated uh, people and people were very angry on both sides. You've, uh, you've the people saying that, you know, my body, my right, if I don't want to get it, nobody's going to force me to get it. And then on the other side, you had people saying you're being selfish if you're not going to get the vaccine because look, it looks like now there's a struggle to will we where, how we re-emerge from the virus. Will we be opening up next week uh, or, or, or not? And I know Leo Varadkar speaking in the doll yesterday. He was saying if everybody in this country was vaccinated, we would probably only have 25 people in ICU and there could be as low as 200 in hospitals, but that's not the case at the moment. And already some of your comments coming in on this one. Vera said, because the unvaxxed are selfish, uh, but very willing to go to hospital and take the drugs available when they become sick. I said, I say this as somebody whose parents and siblings are refusing vaccinations. I can't tell you the stress it is causing me to be living with and to have close relatives and friends who are against uh, the vaccine and believe me says Vera they'll never change their minds and Anthony is kind of making a similar point saying vaccinations have been going on now for many many months almost a full year now Anthony since we started rolling out the vaccination uh, programme if people have chosen not to get vaccinated haven't been vaccinated by now then they simply won't it's stupidity to think they will the government and the HSC are really preaching to the choir at this stage they're preaching to the converted but he 
said, I'm not sure what the solution is. And the government now, of course, thank you for that, Anthony. The government now are scrambling to find ways to try to stop what is the latest surge in uh, COVID cases. But also there is an increase in the number of people ending up in a hospital. So they're scrambling to find ways. How do they stop it while also avoiding a return to any strict restrictions on society? Because people, I think, just won't cope with additional lockdowns or additional restrictions. Now, booster jabs for the over 60s, that definitely is going to be considered. They're also looking at continuing the use of the digital COVID certificate for all indoor uh, hospitality. That's all on the table as they try to stop to spread the what an alarming rate now of the uh, virus. Uh, no plans, though, to reintroduce any restrictions that have already been lifted, and that will certainly come as comfort to anyone, say, who had a business that was closed down. Any restrictions that were lifted, everybody's saying they will remain in place. Some cabinet ministers yesterday are b- believed that the reopening of nightclubs might be postponed are if they reopen, it, you will be required to have your COVID certificate on entry. One senior minister quoted in the papers today saying, I don't think anyone would be up in arms if the reopening of the nightclubs is delayed by a few more weeks. I oh, Listen, tell that to the people who own nightclubs. Tell that to the people who work in nightclubs. I think there will be a lot. There will be certainly a, a number of people who will balk if they decide not to allow the nightclubs uh, to reopen. There will also be a push by some ministers to allow full attendance at sports stadiums and sports grounds. That's due to happen from next Friday because there is evidence to date which is showing that major matches have not resulted in any super spreader events. Recent testing and tracing, uh, for example, showed three people who knew, wait for this, they knew they had tested positive for COVID-19, but they went along to a football match uh, anyway. And because of that, there was testing and tracing done and there was no data showing it resulted in an outbreak of uh, cases, which certainly was some good news. Ministers are also believing that opening hours for bars and restaurants, they should be extended uh, because at the under the current restrictions all bars have to, I think it stop, they stop selling drink at 11 and everyone must be gone by half 11. But that's leading to crowds gathering in city centres and it's also leading to antisocial behaviour. From next Friday, the plan is that that will be lifted and they will go back to normal opening and closing times. And obviously the lobby groups for the hospitality industry, they're demanding clarity from the government and they want it ASAP. They certainly don't want to be sitting here this day next week to be told, oh, this is what we're doing with the uh, restrictions, particularly around the opening hours and will they still need to use the COVID passes, what's indoor dining going to uh, look like, hospitality or banking, that all of those restrictions that are in place at the moment will all be lifted next Friday. Some businesses are saying we can't survive unless those restrictions are uh, lifted. There is concern in the government about the impact, though, of the rising number of uh, the cases, particularly on the health service as we move into what is traditionally the busiest time for the health service as we move into uh, winter. Yesterday, we waited again to hear the figures. 1,627, 415 people in hospital and up to close of business yesterday, 70 people were being treated in intensive care. You add to that, there's also a high number of patients on hospital trolleys. So our hospitals all over the country are under pressure. Now it was Philip Nolan, 
Professor Philip Nolan, he is of course the member of uh, Neffet. He came out yesterday saying that anyone who leaves their house with COVID-19 are symptoms, flu-like symptoms. He says that should become as socially unacceptable as drink driving. He said he was concerned that the data on the virus is going in the wrong direction. He's also concerned that it's happened quite suddenly. He said unvaccinated people are catching the disease. They are getting severe outcomes. They're spreading the disease but the disease is also spreading subtly through the vaccinated population. But of course for the vaccinated population in the main, people who are picking it up are not getting very unwell. It's the unvaccinated that are getting unwell and are ending up in hospital and that's putting the pressure on the hospital service. We know that Neffet are meeting on Monday. They then will give advice to the government on what to do with the final COVID restrictions. Government then will meet on uh, Tuesday. Now Micheál Martin yesterday was speaking on this everywhere he went. He was asked about it yesterday. He said he's aware that people are fed up of restrictions but he went on to call on the public to knuckle down to help stop the spread of the virus. He said all of us collectively need to get back to the basics in terms of COVID-19 and those who are not vaccinated are those who have only had one vaccine and didn't go back for their second He's saying to them, please go and uh, get it. And that was a quote from the Taoiseach. There was a, even though, as I say, some of our listeners, both Anthony and Vera, both saying they know of people who have opted for their own reasons not to take the vaccine and that nothing is going to get them to change their minds and certainly not even listening to our own Taoiseach, asking them, please go out and get it. It's getting reports in of an electricity outage. We've had a number of calls from the Donnerail area, so we've looked into it, and electricity is out in Donnerail and Buttevant. There's about 1,500 homes affected. ESB networks say they are due to restore power after 11am, so they're aware of it and they are working on it. And hopefully you have some batteries in the old transistor radio and that you can still uh, listen to us. But they are aware of it. So hang in there, people. And Buttevant, Donnerail areas, no electricity until after 11. And Domanway Swimming Pool have been on to us to say that due to unforeseen circumstances, the swimming pool will be closed tomorrow, Saturday, the 16th of October. And the management apologise for any inconvenienced cause. So no swimming in Domanway tomorrow. But something that is going ahead in class Clonakilty, the vigil mass tomorrow night in the Clonakilty Parish Church at 7pm is to remember all those who passed away from COVID over the last year and imagine we'll start to see a lot more of those masses in the coming weeks and months but if you're going, if you're in Clon tomorrow going to mass, the vigil mass at uh, 7 for all those who have passed away due to uh, COVID. And just an update yesterday when we were talking about phone contracts we had a a listener on who was really annoyed signed up to a 12 month contract with a phone provider only to discover that halfway through the year they decided to up the price and of course when they do that they're technically breaking the contract so you do you are able to opt out of the contract then if you want want to and in the middle of that Jimmy contacted us from uh, Mayfield he had a Vodafone uh, contract and also he was under contract with them and he got word from them that they were increasing the price of his broadband but because they were breaking the contract uh, he 
was entitled to move if he wanted to. So he rang them back and he ended up getting an upgrade from them for the same price. So he wants to let others know if you receive similar letters, particularly if you have a contract with Vodafone, to ring them. He said he was only waiting eight minutes before the phone was answered. So it wasn't one of those ones that he was on uh, for hours. And uh, you can, he said, you'd be, if you ring them, have a chat with them, you may get the very same offer that you were on for the for the upgrade so it is worth ringing uh, now you can also go and look at other phone providers that are available and to see if you can get a better deal somewhere else but uh, Jimmy well pleased with himself he's got the, he's got the upgrade but for the same uh, price and we got back on to Dennis in Dripsy who had spoke to us uh, yesterday um, and and we've been in contact with Air regarding Dennis in Dripsy's uh, contract uh, problem and they're working to sort that out as well. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork Northwest TD Michael Creed feels that Ireland should fundamentally change the approach to regulating certain social media content and in doing so, prioritise the mental health of young people. To explain further, Fine Gael Dáil Deputy Michael Creed uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And you, you're welcome. Were you alarmed to hear that uh, Facebook, via the whistleblower, had hidden research about how teenagers felt worse about themselves after using their social media sites? Did that alarm you? It did, and and I think probably along with many many other parents, it it did alarm me because it confirmed I think hunches that that many of us uh, would have had but weren't able to substantiate them up to that point. Um, I, I, I perhaps putting it in context, I mean, social media generally, I, I think, can be a very powerful positive tool, you know. For and I think particularly we found that during the lockdown, you know, whether it was Facebook or Zoom or Twitter or all of those platforms, you know, they were great to keep connected. But there is a dark side. There is a dark side. And I think that is something, you know, that has been confirmed now, whether it is the the, the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hogan, or, you know, there's been research also and, and, and media coverage on a Wall Street Journal uh, research, you know, which identified... Uh, teen addiction, teen anxiety and depression. The the Facebook whistleblower spoke about, you know, a willingness to use hate content to generate usage, um, hiding research. And only, I think, in the last week we had, uh, I think it was the, the Guardian newspaper in the UK talking about teens being targeted by anti-vax, anti-vaccination propaganda. So... I, I think all of these confirm perhaps what I and many parents probably would have feared but couldn't up to that stage uh, substantiate themselves. And I think what it brings into sharp focus is what the CEO of Facebook said recently was, uh, you know, putting the onus firmly and squarely back on the, the legislative framework to come up with the appropriate way to regulate 
these companies. And I yeah, think that's the but, challenge now. Yeah, and, and, and that's Mark Zuckerberg you're talking about. Cause, and I was reading only this morning before I came on air, like a global group of more than 50 child safety organisations. I think it's been led by the National Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Children in uh, England. Uh, but this 50 child safety organisations and campaigners, they're urging Mark Zuckerberg to make Facebook safer for children. And they've sent a, an open uh, letter to him. I mean, Facebook and the other social media sites, do, I mean, do they have a responsibility as well? They do, but my view would be strongly that we are well beyond the, the time for and the space for self-regulation. Um, I think, and it's a complex area, and I certainly wouldn't set myself up as an expert in this area, but I do think it's well beyond self-regulation at this stage. So appealing to Mark Zuckerberg, I, I don't think, is, is where we should be heading. I think what we really are talking about is state regulation. And, you know, we operate in, in, in this jurisdiction in many respects in a European context and in EU context. But I think there is space for us to strike out unilaterally also uh, and to go beyond and faster than uh, the EU can in terms of legislation that they are contemplating. I mean, there is EU legislation contemplated in the area of digital safety. But I think given the, 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 the kind of snail-like pace which the EU moves sometimes, I think we could move much faster. And uh, yeah. that's what I would, I think, is where we need to be now. Because in many respects, the, today's teenagers are uh, the guinea pig generation. Um you know, it is great. You know, social media keeps them connected and all of that. But, I mean, it is also clearly the case now that these uh, children and teenagers are being exploited by social media companies uh, to the detriment of their mental health. That's clearly the message. And I think, as I said earlier, that confirms what I think a lot of parents yeah, would well, have yeah. had a hunch and about it, up to now. It absolutely needs to be called out. We became, you know, world leaders when it came to introducing legislation for a ban on smoking in the in the workplace. Do you think we could become world leaders in safeguarding our children online? I do. I I really, really do. And I think one of the things uh, that you know, you'll hear an awful lot about in, in, in this context is the algorithms. Now, I'm far, far, far from expert on all of this, but as I understand it, these are these are the, the, the mechanism underneath the bonnet of social media companies whereby they they track what you watch. In my downtime, for example, I'm an Arsenal football fan, and I look at a lot of online stuff about Arsenal. But I get unsolicited messaging because my ha- habit uh, is known to the social media companies. So they feed what I want to see. And this is also happening across other media, social media platforms, particularly, for example, in this context around teenage girls and body image. An example, Instagram is a really powerful engine for social comparison. And all the evidence is now showing that this is having a really detrimental impact on young teenage girls in terms of their mental health and anxiety. Now, we really need to get under the bonnet of these social media companies, get control of the algorithms, stop this exploitation. And I think that's the kind of power that a an online safety commissioner really should have. It's not just about saying take down harmful content. It's about controlling 
the the engine of these social media companies so that they can't target and 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 in so doing exploit teenagers and as their own research shows feeding addiction anxiety depression using hate content to drive usage all shocking. of that stuff is it's, clearly it's there shocking. now and you're right when you say that you know the young people today because it's all still so new they are the guinea pig generation there's a fear in years to come where we look back and say you know why didn't we do something all the warning signs were there well look um you know there has been in recent days and, and and over the last month a lot of 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 media coverage of this and it really only confirms i think what most of us have feared and thought for a long time as as lay people and i include myself in that space as lay people you know having concerns but there's we have no longer an excuse to say we didn't know we do know now we really do know now that these companies are exploiting are undermining the health and safety of our children, their mental well-being. And we need to act. And we can act. And there is, there are plenty of examples of states that have struck out unilaterally. You know, the, 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 the Germany, for example, in terms of hate speech, has moved unilaterally ahead of the European Union. Australia also has a template that we could look at. But I think we need to move, and we need to move now. These are global companies. They have a global reach. I accept that. Uh, but we are also in a, in, a, in a pretty strong position because we have strong presence, feet on the ground by these companies in terms of corporate headquarters, etc., global and European headquarters for a lot of these companies based here. And I think future generations would really thank us poorly uh, if we don't act now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right. You, you are so right. And I can see so many pa- uh, parents in particular texting and saying, well done to Deputy Michael Creed. Uh, legislation like this is long, long overdue. We need to get working on it. OK, we'll keep a close eye on this. And just while we have you on the line, Michael, um, I, could, I would, would have lost count of the number of times I would have spoken to you over the years about the need for the, the bypass in uh, McCroom. Uh, but the work is flying up, isn't it, on the bypass? It's fantastic. There's really a huge amount now of of uh, government investment in the locality, but the, the bypass is really, really positive. I think the, the completion date is early 2024. I think most people have been really impressed by the contractors, the, the speed at which they've gone about their business, taking into account the fact that they were for some periods of time locked down because of COVID mm. as well. Really fantastic. Yes, well done. Well, well done. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Michael. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Cork Northwest All Deputy Michael Creed. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now I'm joined this morning by well known mental health advocate in Mitchellstown, Carmel O'Gorman, who wants to open a branch of the Haven Hub. Now, the Haven Hub is an after-hours support centre for people that are struggling to cope or who are at risk of suicide. Carmel O'Gorman uh, from Mitchellstown joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Carmel. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, this Haven Hub that you've discovered is in Limerick. Just tell me a little bit about it and how you came across it. I just happened to see um, the Limerick branch um, on Facebook and I contacted the organisers, Leon O'Callaghan and John Nugent. 
and um, we're in the progress now of setting up the Mitchellstown branch of the Limerick Haven Hub. So just explain how, what is the Haven Hub? Well, it, it's a support, we will be offering support to people that are in distress. Um, we'll be open on a Saturday night from 7 to 11. And uh, trained volunteers will be there, Patricia, to offer empathy and help and advice to people that are in distress or have suicidal thoughts. So it will just be, it'll be like a drop-in centre, it'll be open, and if people just feel that they need to talk to somebody. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. I think it's needed in every community, Patricia. Do you think it's particularly needed in Mitchellstown? In every area, really. So you're looking now for a premises? We have one, we have one, Patricia. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, we're opening in Forest Hall. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And, so and and it'll be manned by volunteers? It will be manned by trained volunteers, yeah. We are starting our training courses on Sunday, okay. which are being provided by the Limerick Haven Hub, Haven Hub. And how long has the Limerick one been up and running? I think it's open with about 12 months. And, have and they, also, they also have a branch in Innes and Morford. All right, so they're starting to, to, to move out, but they need local volunteers, obviously, in, in an area to, to run it. Yes, and the volunteers have to be over 23 years of age and they have to do the training courses then to become a volunteer. Do you believe the pandemic has led to an increase in suicides, Carmel? Yes, big time, Patricia, definitely, yeah. I think isolation during lockdown was a big factor. And we're seeing it more in young people as well, aren't we? Yes, the, the age group seems to be from 18 to 25. Their whole lives ahead of them. Their whole lives ahead of them, yeah, it's so sad. And that's why, that's why it has been my ambition to open this hub for the last five years. Well and thankfully now I have backing behind me. So you're, you're very close to getting it off the ground. And that time on a Saturday night between 7 and 11, that those kind of hours, people can get very down. Exactly, um, Patricia. Um, yeah, especially with the long evenings coming in. And I know myself, it's, it's at night time, you sit and think of your troubles and your anxiety rises. So that's why we're opening at those hours. It's after our, it's an after hour service. Okay, and how will you fund it, Carmel? We have a GoFundMe page set up, and also Mitchellstown uh, Credit Union are offering us funding, and Cork Mental Health are going to help us out. Brilliant, brilliant. And have you enough volunteers coming forward to go for the training? We we have um, yeah. ten at the moment, but. We're asking for other volunteers to contact us because there have to be three people on each shift okay. on Saturday nights. Okay. And when do you hope to have the first night open? We hope to open towards the end of November if we have enough volunteers trained. Okay. Okay. And you, if, well, if you let us know when and it's going to be the Forest Hall, let us know the date and we certainly will give it a mention and uh, give a bit of publicity to us so that people can be aware that it is open if if people want to drop in. Yes, of course, Patricia. Okay, and your GoFundMe page is where? It's up on Facebook. Facebook, okay. 
it's Mitchellstown Haven Hub GoFundMe page. Okay, the Mitchellstown Haven Hub. Karma, we wish you uh, good luck with it. You're keeping well yourself? Keeping well. Good. Trishia, thank God, yeah. Good, good. Okay, long may that continue. Listen, thanks a million for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Carmel O'Gorman, who is a mental health advocate in the Mitchellstown uh, area, which I think is a great a great idea, this Haven Hub. Tim has been running very successfully in Limerick. And, you know, I think Carmel is right. A branch of these hubs are needed uh, in every, I think, town and area uh, certainly could 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 benefit from uh, one. Uh, we wish Carmel and the gang images on the best of luck with their Haven Hub. We're talking about somebody with a beautiful uh, voice. I don't know whether you're a fan or not, but I love the sound of Adele and all of Adele's uh, songs. I just think her voice is absolutely uh, captivating. And her first new album in six years uh, is officially, has officially arrived and the first track from it easy on me it's described as an emotional piano ballad it was released at midnight uh, midnight last night and it's the first glimpse of her new album this is her what what she herself is calling her divorce album the album is going to be entitled 30 and of course all of her albums she said what was her first one was 19 then 21 then 25 and this is uh, 30 and easy on me is the first track from that album to be released and it explains her decisions to walk away from her marriage in 2019 while asking her son and ex-husband for understanding and I'm delighted to say we're going to get the first official play of the song here on this programme and I'll be playing it out of news at 12 midday today so if you're an Adele fan make sure you're tuned after 12 for our first airing of Easy On Me the latest track from Adele. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 We're going to take a break we have news at 11 on the way in the next hour we're discussing how the closure of the Bank of Ireland branch in Dunmanway how that is affecting the area and we're also going to be speaking with the first ever ambassador Irish ambassador to the Ukraine and she's one of our own from Wing in North Cork Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Court Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I mentioned that the vigil mass in Clonakilty tomorrow night at seven is for all those that have passed away with uh, COVID during the last year. Well, I've just been told that the Skibbereen Arts Festival are organising a rather special memorial event. They're calling it a Candle in the Wind memorial event and it's going to take place on Thursday, the 28th of October. And it's to commemorate all those who passed away locally during the pandemic and were unable to receive a proper funeral. The focus of the event will be the reading of the names of those who have left us during what has been a very difficult time. It'll begin at 7pm. It'll consist of a candlelit procession through the town of Skibbereen and then it'll end up with readings and songs and uh, music in the Fairfield. That sounds like a really lovely, special and I imagine will be a very, very emotional event because... For so many people who lost loved ones since the start of this pandemic, be it as a result of COVID or not as a result of COVID, uh, people um, um, passed away and it was nothing at all to do with COVID. But because we couldn't have that 
proper funeral is probably the wrong word but that traditional funeral that those large funerals of people turning up in huge numbers for the removal for the wake then on the actual day of the funeral and large numbers congregating in the cemeteries and of course we weren't because we were trying to protect everyone we weren't able to have that type of a traditional funeral and that's been hard on people who have lost a loved one over the last 18 months it's been very hard for the bereavement process so I think what Skibbereen Arts Fest are attempting to do on the last Thursday in October. I think it's going to be a very special event. So if you're in the Skibbereen area mark that one uh, down please 7pm on that Thursday night 28th of October for a Candle in the Wind memorial event. 1850 Can I take a look at some of your calls coming in still people talking about the vaccine versus the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated Passion for Moy says while we should always have our COVID certificate with us at all times. Pat reckons we need to start introducing stricter enforcement of the COVID certs. He's got a suggestion. He reckons members of Angarda Siakona should be going around to establishments like restaurants, bars, cafes and doing spot checks to see if people have their COVID cert with them or not. If somebody is found on a premise premises without a COVID cert, then Pat reckons that premises should be closed down for a night. People then might wise up and owners might make absolutely sure that everybody in their premises has a COVID search that's coming in from Pat. Well, we'll wait and see, Pat, what happens if they with the lifting of restrictions because from next Friday, if the government go ahead with the plan that was to go ahead on the 22nd, then people won't need to be producing a COVID uh, search. And John Ingrona Brauer said, it's about time things reopened. Um, we should also start, cons- it's about time that we start to reopen. So he wants everything to go ahead with the reopening next Friday. He reckons we should be going down the route of the Australians. And I mentioned this yesterday, the Northern Territories in Australia have made vaccines mandatory for everybody working with members of the public. Uh, public and if they have it on Christmas Eve and if they don't get vaccinated they could be fined $5,000 and actually instant dismissal from their job as well. John reckons we should be going down the route of the Australians. That's what we should be doing. We should be fining people who are who do, who refuse to get a vaccination. There are people there are people out there not going to get vaccinated at this stage and what will happen is we will end up going back into another lockdown during the winter so everybody will suffer. It's like the unvaccinated or holding the vaccinated people to uh, ransom. And I don't know if others would agree or disagree with either John in Gornabraha or Pat in Fomoy on their suggestions. Would you like to see the Gardaí coming into premises and checking people's COVID certs? Or would you be with John in Gornabraha that we make vaccination mandatory in this country and if people opt not to get vaccinated we find them instead and now unvaccinated people I can just see are going to be so annoyed John uh, with your comments but your thoughts welcome down at 1850 uh, 333 103 and Morris was on to us he's in Glanthorne and he's, he describes himself as being of an older generation he said we grew up we are the generation that grew up with many viruses and diseases over the years we have seen Things like TB, they had things like polio. And he said all of those illnesses and diseases were dealt with and were eradicated thanks to 
vaccinations. What is wrong today is the younger generation, there are a cohort of young people who never lived, never got to see polio, never got to see uh, TB, so they never got to see people suffer or uh, die. Morris remembers at the beginning of the pandemic, some of his fr- friends were very anti-vax. Then he said they started to see maybe family members or friends who got really sick or maybe they started to hear about some people who died uh, from COVID and he said that quickly smartened up their attitude and they went and got the vaccines and he said all of them delighted that they got the vaccine and they're all fine as a result. So he's he reckons that that could be an issue for some people just because they have never seen what a pandemic can do and of course well none of us have seen what a pandemic can do because it's been 100 years since the last one the Spanish flu was the last uh, pandemic but 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 he is right John is right there will be a generation of people who would have remembered what life was like with polio and who would remember what life was like when TB was rampant in this country and the effect that that both of those diseases had and he's right, we did eradicate them with the vaccine and it will be future generations will talk to their children about what it was like living with COVID the way the older generation can talk about what it was like with TB and uh, polio. You are right for sure. 1850 333103. Uh, morning Patricia, why do, why do what the powers that be, the government and Neffet and all, all those, why don't they just let the virus rip let it take its course. Surely it'll burn itself out eventually, says Pat, because obviously those then that are vaccinated, if they get it, it'll only be a mild illness. And for those that are unvaccinated, they're going to have to take their chances. I think the reason um, that's the herd immunity, I mean, if you think back, the UK, England in particular, looked at doing that and then they've realised it and they've since come out and there's been reports out showing how wrong they got it. We're trying to do herd immunity. They lost so many people by going down that route of just letting the virus, you know, let it take its chances. If you're not vaccinated, then you run the risk of getting it and getting very unwell and and are dying, whereas the vaccinated would be protected. The problem there with doing that, Pat, is everybody suffers because if we completely allowed it, we told everyone, you know, no more mask wearing, no more, forget about your social distancing and just let everybody who's not vaccinated get it. Your problem there is so many of those people would end up in hospital, could end up... now. A lot of people will get it and would be fine, but there would be a proportion of people who would become very unwell and then our hospital system would get swamped. And when our hospital system gets swamped with COVID patients, everybody suffers because there's no ICU beds. And if there's no ICU beds and no high dependency beds because they're taken up with COVID patients, the knock-on effect of that is that people can't get operations and in some cases life-saving operations there was cancer patients had to be cancelled for operations because they couldn't be guaranteed an ICU bed so that's the reason they can't just let it rip for fear that our health system would be swamped Hi Patricia unvaccinated people I feel want to ruin it for everybody else we do need to open up I feel we need to open up for the vaccinated people if you're unvaccinated then refuse to allow them into hospitality says a texter. Michael says Patricia I'm pretty sure they will open up next Friday this uh, day, day week but Michael says my feeling is entry to bars to restaurants to nightclubs to dance halls you'll have to produce your COVID cert. No cert no entry and Michael says rightly so I believe that is the way it should be. Hi Patricia would it be possible for you please to investigate and find out 
if the 70% unvaccinated that we hear about that make up the ICU numbers, are they for this month or are they a cumulative figure from April through to October as the percentage figure is identical and no information has been shared? I think this content is very important. Well, I did a quick check and the figures that I can find from the HPSC and their It's their data that we rely on for all of the figures. The figures they gave for the number of patients admitted to intensive care from the 1st of April through to the middle of September. They're the last figures that I could could find. 72% in ICU from April through to September had not been vaccinated. Uh, 17% in ICU had been fully vaccinated and 11 had received one dose of the uh, vaccine. But then I did hear Paul Reid in the last few days talk about the numbers of people currently in ICU and, and in hospital and there's a disproportionate, highly disproportionate number of unvaccinated people ending up in hospital and ending up in ICU. But that figure of that average figure of 70%, like it was 72% from the 1st of April through to September 11th it might have gone to 70 it might have gone to 71 but it's in or around the 70% mark but yes it's ro- it's a rolling figure from right from April right through to September thus showing very much 100% that vaccines work because people vaccines we've always known vaccine won't stop you getting COVID what vaccine does it stops you becoming very unwell needing to go into hospital needing to end up in ICU and it will give you much higher protection from dying from uh, COVID and we're already seeing that in the vaccinated people who are getting COVID at 19 many of them in many cases have a very very mild illness I mean yesterday when somebody brought up about Waterford which is the highest number of COVID cases in the country at the moment and yet Waterford is the county that has the highest number of fully vaccinated people and people are saying how is how is that happening? They're still getting COVID cases. Now I know there was a big outbreak and they had a lot of cases in primary school children who obviously weren't vaccinated but even of the vaccinated people I saw one Waterford GP uh, said that in the vast majority of cases the infection was, was very mild and in many cases cases people didn't even realise that they had it they just went and got tested because you know a family member a close contact ended up getting COVID and they decided to get checked themselves and I know and I'm, I'm sure John Paul was going to get on to somebody who contacted us earlier by text needing to get a COVID-19 test because a family member has tested positive and they want just to be doubly sure and get themselves checked and was wondering is there any walk-in clinics there isn't anyone who needs to get a COVID test you don't need to go to your GP as we had to do in the early stages you can simply get onto the hse.ie and you can book it online it's a really really good system it's working really well I had a friend of mine who got you know really bad cold chest infection unsure what it was and of course now we all have to err on the side of could it be COVID and it was last weekend and literally rang on Thursday evening and had an appointment for Friday morning and then by Saturday morning had results back and uh, they were fine but very easy system but you need you need to book your test and I think for I'm open to correction I don't know if there's any testing centres in the county I think everyone is heading to the city at the moment in order to get tested for COVID-19 1850 333103 Lines open C103 Jobs A Delhi assistant is wanted for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow please email your CV to exechef 
at hibernianhotel.com. Carpenters are required for projects in Cork City. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Full or part-time retail staff are wanted. That's for the Mill Street area. Uh, email info at munsterfireaidsafety.com. And a warehouse coordinator is wanted for work in the Quartertown area of Mallow. Email your CV, please, to ian at cravat.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie. For C103 photos and more, follow us on Instagram at C103Cork. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now this day last week we spoke about the closure of 88 Bank of Ireland branches across the country with eight of them here in Cork City and County in Dunmanway. Local councillor Declan Hurley described it as the end of an era and he joins me to discuss the impact for the uh, town of this bank closure. Good morning to you Declan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Was there a great sense of sadness and disappointment that the branch closed last Friday in Dunmanway? There certainly was, but certainly there was a lot of anger around. And, I, and I, I, at the moment, there still is anger, and particularly when people see the signs actually being physically removed from the building. So you can actually sense it in the air, the anger people have at, at what the move Bank of Ireland have taken. And I think deep downside, there's a big sense of betrayal uh, to people that was look, we've been through all this before. We've had bailouts and all that. But I just think people feel hard done by. Um, I suppose next to going to your doctor, I suppose to keep up your your physical health. You go to your bank and your managers and your staff to try and I suppose maintain your your financial health as well too. And now this has been taken from people and they feel lost and as I say betrayed. And I think it shows contempt, Patricia, uh, that I think Bank of Ireland have had over the years for their customers and for communities, especially you now because. It is communities are going to really feel the brunt of this in the months and, and years to come. And we know, and all the evidence is there, we, we the Irish, are very loyal to our banks. The majority of us would have opened a bank account. Some, might we might have done it as teenagers, but for others, as soon as you started your first job, you opened a bank account. And the evidence is there. We stick with a bank for life. We do, and I, again, I can relate to that myself because I remember a bank, a particular bank, um, attended my national school before I finished national school, and they opened um, a bank account for us. So that's many moons ago, and I'm still with that. Yeah, bank yeah, yeah, and a, a lot so, of a lot of people will will identify uh, with that. And of course, you close the bank branch, and it now means customers, if they want to do banking, they will have to travel to neighbouring towns uh, to do that bit of business. Is there a danger then that other businesses in the town will lose out? Not alone is there a danger, Patricia, there's a reality that this is going to be the case because I suppose over the last five years, I've seen, and many people out there will agree, that Bank of Ireland has slowly and I think sneakily, I suppose they've reduced their branch services so they can now justify these closures. And back in 2017, uh, Bank of Ireland wanted to move, I suppose, their, their branches to an advice and self-service. And that was the start of the demise, the demise of the branches. And they had a target of making 100 branches cash-free by 2017. And in 2017, we lost our cash brand, our cash counters in banks. 
um, and there now we have it last week and the branch is closed. So it is not a new thing. This has been coming down the line for a number of years and it's a sneaky way of going about it. And I think at the moment, Bank of Ireland are stating that their footfall has fallen 60% last year, 2020. And no wonder it has because they've forced people out their doors because they weren't giving them the service in the branch that you and I the base of and, yeah. and your listeners. Yeah, but I, just, it, it, I think it's, no matter what excuse Bank of Ireland throws out for these soldiers, they've brought this about themselves on purpose because this is, the, this is the plan they made back in 2017 and last week they carried out that final, I suppose, plan in the sense that they closed 88 branches, mining Cork, two in West Cork, and the communities are going to suffer. And your question, yes, businesses need a bank in the community to, um, to manage their day-to-day services. And um, they handle a lot of cash, a lot of coin. And now, if you're dealing with a particular bank, you can't go to the, the next bank. No, thank you. We do have another bank in the town. But again, there is uncertainty, I suppose, over all financial institutions at the moment. But again, it does put that question mark over. How do you assist? sustain a business in a community in a town going forward if your main bank closes its doors. But my other fear around uh, businesses, and I thought about this last Friday and I, and I didn't verbalise anything about it, but then on Monday I got a call and I was saying that's exactly what I was thinking of. A woman contacted us. Uh, she's in Mill Street and their branch closed on the Friday and she discovered that she needed to do something with her card. And when she contacted the bank, they said, you're going to have to now go in to your nearest branch in order to whatever needs to be done to the card. So she had to get into the car and she had to drive to McCroom. That was going to be her nearest bank branch. And she made the point, I've got shopping to do that she said she would normally do in her hometown of Millstreet. She said, I'm going to do it in McCroom now because I'm, I'm driving over there, so I might as well do my shopping there. And that's the danger, isn't it? That if you, somebody leaves their area to go to the next nearest town, that they may then do whatever bit of shopping they would have done locally. It'll be done somewhere else. And that is going to be the real impact of this move uh, that's been taken huge, I think, negative economic impact because, yes, as you rightly pointed out, people will have to go to a branch at some stage to do a financial transaction or discuss a loan or a mortgage. And, yes, when you are there, you are going to spend your, your wires um, in that community. It's a great benefit to the bank of the town that you're going to. But just say, Frank, for looking at Dunmanway and Bantry, yes, there is going to be a, a, a loss in football and business because the bank has sold. And the other problem I see as well, Patricia, is elderly people. Um, they might drive maybe the four or five kilometres to their own and do their banking to withdraw money or to lodge money. They may not know travel to the kilometres because they may not have confidence enough in their driving. Um, so you're going to see all elderly people maybe keeping large amounts of cash now in their homes, which is going to open up a whole other problem of a maybe a, maybe thefts or break-ins. We don't know, but that that is another problem with elderly people don't use online banking, who can't use online banking, where now the day turns their, their local branch. Well, ba- well, Bank of Ireland will say to you, look, we've struck up a partnership with, with um, post. People can use their local post office. You, you can lodge and you can withdraw money from your post office. But I, and again, it's great that the post office are getting this business. But as you know, Patricia, again, it, it's, I suppose, it's no great comfort because, again, there is that doubt over rural post offices, can they sustain this? Can they sustain their own business? Are they going to close? So, um, Balneen um, lost their post office in the last number of months. Uh, Drina lost its post office. Like, so again, I'm all for the post office. I advocate for the post office. I hope this will be an extra um, support to post offices. But in areas where a post office is struggling to survive, again, this may 
may not be an option for people going forward because yeah. the post office closes, they're back in the same dilemma in where do they go to make withdrawals or to lodge money. And actually in Mitchellstown in North Cork, they lost their Bank of Ireland branch and I saw a post up on Facebook from the Mitchellstown Business Association who were pointing out that while people could bank and could do work at the post office with lodging and withdrawing, they've now discovered that the the post office is not going to be able to offer coinage to shops. So customers were going to have to travel to Formoy, any of the business people, in order to get coins. And I, I did see they're trying to set up some kind of a coin group so businesses can swap coins. But they're straight away an inconvenience for businesses. If they need to get coins, the, their local branch is gone. The post office doesn't have that facility to give them the coins. So they are going to have to travel. They will, and it's a huge inconvenience, as you say. And I think I read somewhere during the week that now businesses are trying to maybe pool together and maybe transfer, um, if a certain business has extra coinage, they now will maybe transfer that coinage to another business that's looking for coinage. So now you might have a business person walking around the street with maybe 500 for 1,000 euro in a bag uh, with coins. So therefore, that adds another element of danger from the point of view of, again, it's an opportunity for some people to come in and maybe just... Um, rob or steal somebody that has money that's out in public. So it, it's not the answer to the problem. Um, and I think here there is a great opportunity for the local credit union to step up here now and to fill this gap created by the branch closers. There, the credit union is locally run, is a local manager, face-to-face service and has community at heart. And I really think and I would urge the unions to step up to the mark here now and try and fill this gap because it's about community. Certainly, Bank of Ireland have no community at heart here, whereas your local credit union, your local post office has community at heart, and we have to try it both and support locals, support your post office, support local credit union. And I think, I suppose, the other thing is ATMs have gone. So now you've also lost your kind of 24-7 access to cash. Um, and from time to time, you will get cut out if you want to have cash. So some businesses have installed um, ATMs in their local businesses, but again, come maybe six or nine o'clock at night, they close. So and the ATM is gone, them, yeah. The ATM yeah. is gone. And again, you, we had two um, ATMs, the Bank of Ireland and the AIB. Not all of them work. They do go to server from time to time. They might run out of cash. So we're now left with the one remaining bank um, AIB ATM. If that goes out of order or runs out of cash, there is no cash, cash access in the town of Demanway. Um, after maybe nine o'clock at night when all the businesses are closed. And if it gets very busy, if you have a lot of tourists in the area, those machines can empty uh, pretty quickly. By the way, uh, somebody's saying, does Declan know what's happening to the actual physical building, the actual branch? To the best of my knowledge, Patricia, um, an estate agent nationally has been contacted by Bank of Ireland and all the 88 branches that have sold in the past uh, number of days are to go to the market. They're to be sold off. Um, and again, I suppose my own personal view is, as a government, we have a 14% um, shareholding in the bank. So they're selling off estate assets to a certain extent that we partly own um, as, 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 I suppose, Irish citizens. So therefore, my I would urge when the Bank of Ireland comes up for sale in Demandway or Bantry, the door sales are boycotted. Um, because, again, this is going to be clear profit for uh, Bank of Ireland when they sell off. Yeah, but you don't want a derelict building in the middle of the town, Declan. You, you don't, but I think a lot of the buildings in Dunmanway, certainly in West Cork, certainly uh, Antry and Dunmanway, they've been upgraded in the last year, so they're, they're very, I suppose, they're, they're being maintained to a high standard, so they are good buildings. Um, but again, I think a point has to be made here is that 
communities are going to suffer for this and Bank of Ireland should not be let get away with it. We did write to the Minister back in March this year, um, I suppose outlining our concerns um, that the bank should step in and, and I suppose stop Bank of Ireland from making this. And the reply we got back basically was the Minister does not, um, I suppose, have any role in any commercial decisions made by any bank. So it's, it's the bank, I think, again, left, uh, the government left the bank off, I think, Scott Free in this regard. Communities are going to have, will have to try and, I suppose, sustain this going forward. And how do you get a community to attract the business to a community um, if there is no bank there? Um, yes, we're looking to have a second bank in the town, but other towns may not have that luxury of having two banks in the town, so Bank of Ireland is gone. Yeah, and you can see people are really uh, angry and upset about the, even a week on, John in Cove said we lost our Bank of Ireland branch uh, last Friday, a few months previous to that, we lost our permanent TSB branch. We're now told to go to the post office. Meanwhile, in the neighbouring town of Middleton, they've got four banks uh, operating. The pressure now that's been put on the local on post staff is absolutely huge. Magella says, I am new to Mitchellstown, a real bustling town. So what is happening has absolutely shocked me when I heard that the Bank of Ireland branch was to close. It makes no sense to me for such a thriving town like Mitchellstown. I don't see the point. The fear is that we're moving people to other towns like Fromoy are at Clonmel and Mick in Skull said they closed the AIB in Skull a number of years ago it was bought by an American man and he gave it back to the community and it's now a cinema and community events are held there would that not be a good idea that the bank would do so? would you, I, I take it you'd be in favour of that Declan that they would hand the actual physical buildings back to the local community well, I, I think it would be a goodwill gesture that the bank should do. Is, is I, I think they've made enough money out of us over the last number of years. The least they could do is give something back because yeah. they, they themselves have to realise this is going to have an impact on communities. And I think if they are departing a community, leave a community, what best way to, I suppose, I suppose leave a community, maybe survive, is give a bank, give the, I suppose, their, their building back to the community. And yes, like um, your listener has just said, it could be developed into some other service or immunity that would benefit the community going forward. Yeah. Okay. Listen, we leave it there, uh, Declan. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good Take morning care. to you. That is Don Manway, local councillor Declan Hurley. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. In August of this year, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, officially opened Ireland's embassy to the Ukraine and said it's part of the government's global Ireland strategy to double our footprint on the world stage. The first resident ambassador to the Ukraine is one of our own. She is a Bwing native. Therese Healy joins me now on the line from Kiev this morning. morning. Good good morning to you, Madam Ambassador. Ambassador. Good morning, Patricia. Very glad to speak with you. Well, it's great. Congratulations on your appointment. Now, you're no stranger to travel for the Department of Foreign Affairs, and, and I will touch on some of the countries you've been to in the past. But what is it like to be the first ambassador and to be setting up an embassy in a new country? Well, first of all, I think it's a great honour for me to have that privilege. Um, it's very rare that you can open a new embassy and build up a team 
from from the ground up and also build networks. Um, so there's a huge task ahead of us, but it's a great honour to be given that that opportunity by the department, by the minister and the cabinet. And really for us now, it's, it's, it's moving on with that role and identifying areas where we can best add value uh, for the country in our relationship with Ukraine. And what do you see as your main role? My main role is to uh, to really uh, ensure that Irish policy objectives here are understood and that we support Irish citizens living and travelling to Ukraine and the Irish companies that wish to do business here, that we give all that support uh, in a way that they hadn't before because we hadn't a resident embassy. But what we have to do is just do it in a very careful way, build up our networks and see then how best we can help uh, in connecting with the various government ministries, telling them very clearly about Irish objectives, including in the Security Council, because this year and next year we're on the council. And that means, you know, issues like Crimea, Eastern Ukraine may come up in those kind of contexts. Mm. And do we have many Irish people living in the Ukraine at the moment, do you know? Not so many. I think in the in the region of about 200 or 300. Some of them are working in regional and international organizations, such as the United Nations and the OSCE, which is monitoring the situation in eastern Ukraine. So some Irish citizens are really in those areas of the country where conflict is happening near them, or are very, um, or even in fact in the same area. So it's really making sure that we support um, those Irish citizens who have particularly challenging work environments. And talk to me then about the cultural differences between, say, Ireland, say, uh, Cork in particular, and the Ukraine. Well, I think there are quite a lot of similarities, actually. Uh, family, extended family seems to be very valued here and also uh, education. There's been something very striking I found here. Um, They do come from a different cultural background, but like Ireland, that ancient culture, and also wish to modernise and to travel. So quite a number of Ukrainians travel to Ireland or did travel before COVID, you know, up to 5,000 every year. So there's a great appetite on the part of Ukrainians to travel and to work and meet um, other cultures. Um, But there are differences, and for us it's to try to see what are those subtle differences, and that means we can better work with them when we understand those cultural differences and vice versa. Now, I know you spent time in the past in in Moscow. Would would Ukraine be very similar to Moscow? Not really. I mean, they they do have different... They have a shared history in the sense of that communist uh, Soviet um, um, Union era, but... Always Ukraine has been noted for having a very independent um, mindset and it also has, it's very particular in that it had a great agricultural system and it focused on that during Soviet times. Um, As I said, they always had a great emphasis on education and they were always noted as being great entrepreneurs. Um, So they were quite different in that way. So I I think in every country, just like even in Ireland, if you go from county to county, there are differences. Mm. And so it's usually best when approaching any situation to treat everything as a very new experience and not kind of fall back on on any sort of ideas you might have about what it could be like. I think it's to come with really fresh and open perspectives and just learn 
keep learning all the time about what is it that makes Ukrainian people Ukrainian. It's partially the language, it's their their beautiful, beautiful landscape, um, their food, their musical talents and so on, and that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that I've mentioned. Now, you have had quite an interesting life to date with the Department of Foreign Affairs and that you've travelled to many, many countries and I'm interested in talking to you about some of those. You were in Tokyo in 2002. That was when Ireland was in the World Cup. Yes, that was wonderful because um, Japan at that time wasn't a place where you saw huge numbers of Irish tourists travelling. And so it was just so lovely as somebody who was living there at that stage for a couple of years to see um, that sea of green on the subways and so on and just how startled the Japanese were initially um, (laughs) and how they, they grew to love the Irish and were very sorry when we went on then to Korea where we had less Less best uh, luck there, I think. We had our greatest, uh, um, uh, I think, accounts in in Japan. But Japan was a wonderful posting and the Japanese people are just so, so engaging and so honourable. I had a wonderful time there and I look back at that time with great affection. You were also the first ever female Consulate General of Ireland in Shanghai. What were your highlights there? I think the biggest one was dealing with the initial COVID issue because we were the first country that where were that knew um, you know COVID was a reality, and so we were we were beginning from this from the start in terms of how do we react to this? What you know we I, I undertook to I set up our emergency plan. Um, just activated that plan and really interacted very closely with the Irish community. Fortunately, a couple of years before that, we had an outreach programme where we really went out to the community to learn more about where they were and how to stay in touch with them. And we really found that immensely helpful when we did need to connect with them and they to us. Because for a lot of that time, information wasn't very clear about what this um, virus would mean and what um, and how people could protect themselves and how they could leave um, for Ireland or for other locations. So there was a lot of communication with the Irish community and so I'm very proud that my team really responded so well to that. Um, I also think about the other times, the, 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 the trade that we were doing with Shanghai um, and including Cork companies really benefiting from having a consulate there on the ground that could really help them understand those cultural differences you mentioned earlier and really push past those and, and have a real connection with their Chinese interlocutors. So it really, for me, was about deepening those relationships, the business relationships and the Irish community relationships in Shanghai, and then passing the baton to my colleague, who also happens now to be female. Well, well done. And you, so you go from Shanghai to Kiev, where you are now in the Ukraine. How long does your term as ambassador run? It's a four-year term. And so uh, the first year or two, I think, will be taken up very much with the setting up of the embassy and the deep and the building of those networks and really assessing the environment and seeing where we really want to go as a department in terms of engaging with different um, organizations. So four years is a good time to really settle in, to start developing some roots here as well. 
because I'm also living uh, in the city, a resident of the city. And so you need time to really get to know any city. Yeah, and it certainly is, is really, really exciting times. And then, Trace, what about family here in Cork and how often do you get home? Well, when I was in Asia, I, was, I managed to get home about twice a year. And now I'd expect, when things settle down here, to travel back a little bit more to home. Home, as you mentioned, is Buing, and also um, on my mother's side, Clonakilty. So I spend time in two locations. And I've always, whether I was in college or in Dublin or abroad, I've always spent a lot of time when I could at home. Uh, I just love that reconnection. Um, to home. Boeing is just a beautiful place, so mm. such lovely walks. And also the community is just fantastic. The same is true of Clonakilty. And uh, the one thing I am missing in particular is the sea. Um, there isn't a sea next to us in Cave, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes you don't get it all. And I'll appreciate all the all the more when I go back to visit. Uh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Will you be home for Christmas? No, no, I'm actually, Christmas will be for my deputy. I think it's more important for um, my colleagues to have that opportunity to go home. Um, and then I will go home and hopefully in January. Wow. Well, uh, and then can can talk to my family about having a late, a late celebration. Good, good. You, you sound like a great boss, which is terrific. Listen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, uh, Therese, and we will keep in contact with you. But the best of luck uh, in, in your appointment as ambassador to Ukraine. Thank you very much. And just congratulations to your own channel. I think, Patricia, uh, I think for many people, the last year and a half was so difficult. But um, I know from speaking to family that your, your, your voice coming into their, into their rooms was really, really helpful during the cocooning stage, especially. You're very kind. Thank you for that, Therese. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is the ambassador to Ukraine. And apologies, there was a slight delay on the line there. But that is Therese Healy a native of Boeing in North Cork 1850-333-103 John Paul takes your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleena Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your comments coming in to us. Hi Patricia, well done to Michael Creed, Deputy Michael Creed you spoke to earlier for highlighting the Facebook issue and the effects that it's having on young people and is probably also having on not so young people we all need to be made very much aware of this and if Michael Creed has his way, he wants legislation introduced particularly to protect young people and young people's mental health and then Jerry was on to us this is to tied in with the budget earlier on in the week and the changes that were made on the budget 
to the fuel allowance. Jerry writes to Patricia, my wife and I, pensioners, were applying for the fuel allowance for the first time this winter. I was listening on national radio to an interview with the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, and he was explaining about the new recipients for the fuel allowance and what was happening and what changes would be made and how the increase to the fuel allowance, the extra five euro a week, that was kicking in from midnight on the night of the budget. But then when he was pushed further as to when the changes were coming in on the means testing for the fuel allowance, it turns out that that's not starting until uh, January. So Jerry says it looks like those of us who are now entitled or will be entitled under the new means test for the fuel allowance will have to freeze through October, November and December. So I did a quick check for Jerry, and Jerry is right. There was two budget measures introduced for the fuel allowance. One was the extra five euro, but the second was the means test amount of what people can earn um, before they're allowed to claim the means test and to, before they're able to, cla- to claim the fuel allowance and we do know and we've heard countless times on the programme people who applied for a fuel allowance to discover because they might have a very meagre pension you know private pension that they might be five euro over the amount and then they would be turned down for the fuel allowance and that's always been upsetting for so many people so what they did in the budget last week was or this week they they raised the income limit and it's to go up by uh, 20% it's to go up to 120 euro a week that's what a person who's entitled to the fuel allowance can earn and still get the uh, fuel allowance but unfortunately that measure and which wasn't announced I have to say on the day of the budget but that measure is only kicking in in January so for anybody looking for the fuel allowance for this year the income threshold stays the same and is currently at €100 Euro. and separately people in receipt of job seekers allowance or supplementary welfare allowance they may qualify for the fuel allowance after 12 months instead of 15 months at present but that's not going to help anybody this winter because I've now discovered that that will only benefit people next winter as that doesn't kick in until next uh, September. The devil is always in the detail, is it not? So Jerry, uh, well spotted and you're right and unfortunately yourself and your wife now will not get the fuel allowance for October, November and uh, January but I would be have all those forms filled in and ready to go at the start of January and at least you'll get the second half of the current period of the fuel allowance. You should get it for uh, next year. And I know somebody else was asking about people who get paid in a lump sum. You know, the way not everybody gets the fuel allowance at five, will be getting the extra five euro a week. Some people opt to have it paid by lump sum and they've already got their first lump sum. The Department of Social Protection has said it will be paying arrears to those who are paid by lump, lump sum. But... As to when, that's not sure yet, but the arrears will be paid for that period up to the date in January when the second lump sum is payable. So you will, you're not going to lose out in any way. Uh, This is on vaccinations. Morning, Patricia. I can't see nightclubs opening next Friday, specifically with the non-vax, the number of non-vaccinated people that are around. Vaccinated certs, I feel, says John, they're not worth the paper they're written on. Pub and club owners want people in through their doors. I've been in a lot of pubs. I've never been asked for my COVID cert. I actually reported a pub to the Gardaí because there was a party of 50 students in a marquee, very loud music. The Gardaí did nothing. I agree with some of your earlier listeners that said there should be more spot checking done to make sure people are not breaking the law 
law. Uh, and what I, I would go further, I would close them down for a week and find them. They would think twice then about letting people in who are unvaccinated. That's some John. Thanks, John. Someone else says, why are the vaccinated people so worried about the unvaccinated people when they are, in inverted commas, protected with their two vaccines and now some are even getting boosters. Also, the vaccinated can still get COVID and they can still spread it. I am unvaccinated and I won't get the vaccine. It is my choice. It is no one's business whether you're vaccinated or not. People are getting ill in, are gone ill in the head from all of this COVID and vaccine talk and they're now pitted one against the other. Anyone can get COVID and it's nobody's fault. It's a virus and it's not going anywhere. Wake up. There's a lot more going on in the world than COVID. Whoa, there's a lot. There's a lot in that statement. And you are right. Anybody can get COVID. But the only difference is the fact that you're not vaccinated versus the vaccinated people that you're giving out about. If you get COVID, you have a higher chance of becoming much more unwell than the person who is vaccinated, you have a much higher chance then if you did get very unwell and please God you won't, you have a much higher chance then of ended up in hospital. You could end up in an ICU uh, bed and that's when it, it becomes other, when you say it's nobody else's business, that's when it does become somebody else's business. If you have somebody who is waiting on treatment and needs an ICU bed, I, I'm thinking of that little boy who needs the scoliosis, who was crying during the week with the pain and his operations have been continuously delayed. And of course, uh, I know there has been delays before the pandemic, but now there's even further delays. There's nearly a million people on waiting lists. You think of people who need hip operations, knee operations, who are in a really an awful lot of pain. You think of cancer patients who are in need of life-saving operations to keep them alive. If all of the unvaccinated people ended up getting unwell and ended up taking up those ICU beds, then it does become everybody's concern uh, because other people can't get in to the hospitals because the COVID patients are are in there. But you are right. It is it is your body and it is your choice whether you decide to get vaccinated or not. And I can't ever see this country going down the rule, going down that route of forcing people to get va- vaccinated. But I think you're wrong in saying it's nobody else's business whether you're vaccinated or not, because I do think it is a concern for everyone. We want to try to get out of this pandemic as safely and as quickly as possible. 1850. 333103. John in Roscommon when he heard me talk about the fuel allowance and poor old Jerry trying to apply for it to discover that the changes to the means test will not kick in until uh, January. Phaeton says John they've no problem putting up the diesel or the fags do they after the budget? They'll do that immediately. And someone else says I got the increase in the fuel allowance. It did go through the night of the budget. I got my pension uh, today. Sorry I thought the increase in the fuel allowance went through the night of the budget. I got my pension today but no increase in my uh, fuel um, allowance. That's probably a slight delay in it trickling through but you certainly you'll be backdated. You you will get the money uh, for this week. Um, It might take a week or two for it to come through but it certainly has been increased from the night of the budget. And I've been asked to wish the Castle Magner footballers all the very best. They're in the semi-final tonight. And the message is come on the Castle. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie There's a drive-in bingo in the Creamery Yard in Kildallery that's on tonight at 8pm while on 
Sunday St. Brogan's Tractor Run. It's a native school enhancement fund uh, will be held leaving from Bandon GAA grounds on Sunday with registration from 11am. And Balancholic Drama Festival that runs from next Monday through to Friday the 22nd of October. It's in Balancholic Community Hall and isn't it great to see the drama festivals back up and running. And next Thursday, Rathmore and District Credit Union will host a coffee cart. It's for International Credit Union Day. It'll be from 10am to 3pm in the main office in Rathmore. Proceeds from the coffee cart will go to the Air Ambulance Services in Rathcool. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now the town of Dingle have decided to stage a special tribute day to honour the legacy of Fungi the Dolphin, who sadly has not been seen since this month last year. So to chat about... Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. About this very special day, which is happening on this coming Sunday. I'm joined by Maura O'Shea, who's the manager of Dingle Ocean World Aquarium. And uh, Maura joins me. Good morning to you, Maura. Good, good morning. Af- good afternoon. It's, it's gone past uh, 12. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to believe that it's a year since you last um, uh, spotted yeah. Fungi. Do you still find it hard to believe that Fungi isn't around? Yeah, it's very strange. Like, he was part of the community for so long, like, um, I suppose 30 seven years of ding of fungi and dingle and then you know in the blink of an eye he just seemed to disappear and we haven't seen him in over a year and i suppose with the pandemic and everything and everything closed down it's just been so strange for the last year that he's like not here especially during the summer when all the visitors were around and you know it's very sad as well but i suppose we have to remember what a fantastic legacy i suppose he's left of you know marine life and everything on the peninsula as well. And yeah. does, do, does everybody have their own thoughts on what they think might have happened to him? 
Yeah, I suppose they do. I mean, we all we all had hoped that he would return, but obviously that hasn't happened. And I suppose everybody's hoping that he's in a better place somewhere, somewhere out yeah. there. But I suppose nobody really knows where he is. Yeah, you'd like to think he's gone off and found his one true love, and they've yeah. just re- they've just relocated uh, somewhere. That's it. You... Off in the sunshine, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, t- so tell us the plan and what people can expect this coming Sunday. So basically, it's like celebrating his life. Like as I said, he was part of the community for so long. So he was first seen in 1983. So he was 37 years on the peninsula. So on Sunday, the boatmen have organised um, a celebration of his life. So on Dingle Pier between 11 and 5 on Sunday. And they'll have like memories, talks about fungi, you know, people's stories. Um, they'll then go out on the water out to Dingle Harbour. So there's no charge there, but they're asking like if anybody wants to give donations then, that it'll go to the Dingle Coast and Cliff and to the Mallow Search and Rescue as well. So, you know... It's great. It'll be a fun day, like music and, of course, everything in Dingle is always good. So mm. we're looking forward to a good a good day on Sunday. And have many of the boatmen now who would have, and the, and the boats that would have gone out, have, have some of them retired? Um, most of them. I think there were 16 boats in total. Was there? But, like, a lot of them have, you know, kind of changed and they're doing marine tours and Brilliant. they're doing tours of the harbour, you know, um, different things like that, eco-tours. So most of them are still going, as far as I'm aware. You know, maybe one or two might have retired, but the most of them have, you know, I suppose, looked at different options and doing different things. There is so much to the peninsula and bringing people out into Dingle Harbour to see what's around. You know, there's lots of seals and stuff like that as well and all the marine life and the birds. So it's great. Like, they do little tours and talks and everything. So it's still it's still a lovely tri- day trip out there. Yeah, and you know, as you say, it's thirty-seven years, nineteen eighty-three. What a different Ireland it was as well when when Funky first came. And just talk to me about how easily he settled in. Yeah, it, it's just so strange. Nobody knows why he stayed. Like, there's been other dolphins that have come and gone. Like, I suppose he's had girlfriends and stuff in the <laughs> past. They come in, they'd stay for a while and go away. But Fungi has always stayed. And like a lot of people went swimming with him every day. They went out, you know, there was people, I suppose it was a ritual routine that every day they went out to visit him. He was like part of their family for so long. So, yeah, it, he just settled in to the community like, like like a human, really. He was part part of the community. Everybody knew Dingle from like America, all over the world. Like it was amazing. And the visitors that did it did come in the summer, I know you didn't have the normal tourist season over the last two years, but we, we were opened up for a section of it this summer. Were they all still talking and asking about fungi? Oh, yeah. More yeah. more so than ever, really. Um, like a lot of people were coming in and asking like our thoughts and where he had gone. And even especially in the last few weeks, um, we've had a lot of, you know, tourists from abroad coming back, like Americans, you know, Europeans, and they're all coming in saying they were supposed to come a year and a half ago and they were going to go out to see him and they were disappointed, obviously, that they didn't get to see him before he disappeared. So, you know, I've found even more so in the last few weeks the amount of people that are talking about him. It's, it's, it's unreal, like. Okay, and that's what you're hoping will happen on Sunday because like, lots of people have stories to tell. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the amount of stories, like amazing stories, like it'll be great to rehear, rehash a lot of them again and, you know, listen to all the the stories from days gone by and I suppose more recent times as well. Everybody has a story. Yeah, and how are you getting on at the aquarium? We do great. Um, You know, there's a lot of tourists still around, a lot of foreign people around. Like great during the summer, we had a lot of Irish 
Um, so yeah, no, it's been great. It's been a hard two years, but look, hopefully we're over the worst of it and we just keep keep ploughing on now and just keep going. Do you remain open in the winter, Maura? We do, yeah. yeah. We're open all year. So yeah, so we, we keep going anyway. We have to feed the fish and turn on the lights and yeah, mind, yeah. mind our penguins. So yeah, we okay. keep going. And of course, midterm, you'll be busy. That's, that's yeah. the day next week that kicks in, doesn't that's it? Yeah, right. so you'll be busy yeah. that. Okay, so this Sunday between 11 and 5, and as you say, the boat people are not charging but donations to, to two great causes. Yeah, that's it. Okay, listen, thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. No problem, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Maura O'Shea there, the manager of Dingle Ocean World. If you're around Dingle on Sunday, pop on down, particularly if you have a story to share about fungi. God, 37 years. Incredible, isn't it? Okay, let me quickly go to just some of your uh, calls and thoughts and number of WhatsApps. My apologies, I haven't got around to all the WhatsApps uh, today. This is on... Remember somebody earlier was remembering TB and polio and people of a certain age will remember that. And one of the reasons why people, maybe older people said, I'll get the vaccine because they saw what happened with TB and polio in the past. Uh, Michael says, I'm around long enough to remember TB and uh, polio. TB was deadly. It took many a soul from this country. God loved them. They fell like flies with it. Anyone who survived it were left badly scarred from it. It was a deadly disease. And only for Dr. Noel Brown, God bless him, many, many more lives would have been lost. It was really a deadly, deadly disease. And Michael says, any house that got it had to be fumigated because it even lived in the walls. Not unreal. That's from Michael. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Stay safe and look after yourself. Okay, what else is coming in? Let me just see some other ones. Patricia, hi. The media are constantly telling us about job vacancies. There's job vacancies all over Ireland. John says, my question is, what about the 180,000 people who are out of work at the moment? Should they not be sent for interview for many of these jobs? If they refuse to engage then please cut their dole. That will wake them up and weed out the long-term dole uh, spongers. Um, Yeah, you have a valid point, uh, John, because every single industry seems to have job vacancies. I mean, every shop that you pass seems to have a sign in the window looking for full and part-time staff. Hospitality industry will tell you they are just, they are really at their wits' end trying to get staff. I mean, the hospitality have been so badly affected that there's some areas where restaurants that would love to be open seven days a week are only open five days a week or some restaurants say are only doing nighttime service or they're only doing lunchtime service because they can't get people uh, to work at night. We only had co-action on last week on the programme having to close two of their houses in Castletown Bear because they can't get people uh, to work with people with intellectual uh, disabilities and that's reflected in not just in West Cork. That seems to be, that seems to be an issue around, around the country. So, so yeah, you do have a point. There are job vacancies there and employers looking for people to work. And on the other side, we have 180,000 people who are out, out of work. Now, is it that people don't want to do those particular jobs? In some cases, they mightn't be skilled. I mean, I accept in the hospitality industry, then you won't be all, they won't all be skilled chefs that are signing on. But the other issue is, could it be pay? Is, is it paying conditions as well? I, I wonder, but John reckons that it certainly needs to be looked at. And here's a very, very unusual request from one of our listeners, and I don't have the answer to it, but maybe some of our listeners do. Uh, hi, Patricia. What do I do with dentures of a loved one no longer with us? Now, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have no idea. What 
what do you, you and I'm assuming you just don't want to toss them in the bin and bad for the environment and all of that. I have no idea of what you would do with and you're not you, you will not be the first person to end up with a set of uh, dentures that is no longer needed because the person's no longer with us but also I'm assuming that other people would have had dentures over the years and they would have been replaced what happens with the other dentures that you're not using rather than it always being dentures no longer around because the person has passed away uh, but if anyone can help our listener as to watch what they do with a pair of dentures no longer needed. If you can help us there, 1850-333-103. Uh, uh, give us a call, uh, please. And also, uh, I think that's all of the calls and texts that are coming into us. OK, we're going to take a break and we are back talking movies with uh, Mark Malone, giving suggestions of some movies we can go and see. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you watched two movies for us Free Guy and Respect. Let's start with a trailer from Free Guy. Hi. With just a scattering of drive-bys. Potential dirty bomb Sunday night. Front of warm, dry gunfire mixed with late afternoon stabbings. Could lean into streets wet with the blood of innocence by early Tuesday night. Great day for the beach, but not Hitman's Beach, which will be mined and sprayed with high-caliber fire from a renegade gunship stolen by a coked-up bandit and his frenzied band of bloodlusting mercenaries. <laughs> Now we've got us as a comedy here, um, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, it's it, it is Ryan Reynolds. I'd be interesting to know how you feel about Ryan Reynolds. Are you okay with Ryan? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be the biggest fan under the sun, but <laughs> yeah, but he's okay. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that a lot will depend on whether or not you do like him because he's basically playing Ryan Reynolds here and he's been doing that now for quite some time. Uh, so if you think of Deadpool, it's basically Deadpool in a shirt and slacks. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And so, but he can act. I mean, I don't know why he's doing this because the last four or five films he's made, he just basically seems, look, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a career, I think. But like, the problem is for me is that he can do so much more. I mean, do you remember the film Buried where he was uh, underground? Yes, in, in I do. Coffin? Yes, I and do. And just basically the camera was on his face for about an hour and a half and yeah. it showed just what a spine and he's got actor he is and he's got a huge amount of range. So basically he plays Ryan Reynolds here. So if you don't really like the Ryan Reynolds stick, you're going to have a problem with this. But um, if you can kind of ignore that, I particularly like it. I do. Because he does a lot of breaking of the fourth wall and there's a lot of that happening here as well. Lots of references, you know, to, to kind of Spider-Man and to Captain America and uh, he kind of looks towards the camera quite often. And I do like that kind of stuff and I, and, uh, I, I always have. So basically, I don't know, you, I presume you haven't done much gaming in your time, have no, you? No, no, I wouldn't be a mad gaming fan. No, you see, and I, neither would I. I haven't done really very much gaming either, but what kind of bits of gaming I have done, um, if you do play a game, there are always kind of characters way in the background, especially if you're playing those kind of shoot 'em up games in cities and stuff. And you'll notice that there are characters that basically walk in and out of buildings. They don't play part of the game, but they are there. They're visually uh, on screen. And what Ryan Reynolds does is he is basically in a video game without realizing it. And he's one of those characters. So he just goes about his life and 
basically repeating the same day every single day. Uh, so you might think, well, okay, well, that's kind of similar. That's kind of similar to uh, Groundhog, Groundhog Day. day yeah. ex- exactly, once again. And so basically, that's what he does until he meets Jodie Comer one day, who comes towards him. And all of a sudden, he kind of thinks, well, she's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll get to know her a little bit. And what she does, basically, uh, but before he meets her, he does reference the fact that there are the, the cool guys, there are the cool characters in the city, and they have all these kind of really kind of cool kind of sunglasses. And basically what those sunglasses are doing, they're the main players of within the game. And so they allow them to see the game uh, through gamers at home. And he doesn't realize that until she gives him one of these glasses, and then he realizes he is in a video game. And then he realizes as well that he can basically then do whatever he wants. But by doing that, he annoys Taika Waititi, who owns the game. And so therefore he decides to kind of go against his Basically, the code that's been written for him is for him to go about his daily uh, kind of business. What he then begins to realize is that with the glasses, he can basically do what he wants. But um, as people go after him within the game, uh, he, like uh, Groundhog Day, every single day, every time he gets killed, he's able to learn something new and so go about his life in a completely different way than he had been doing, which was really kind of a suburban kind of lifestyle, coming and going, going to work, coming back. And now, of course, he can just play within the game by himself and just have fun. The surprising thing about this is that it did make its way to cinemas, but not for very, very long. This is a big, big budget film with lots of special effects, and it's ended up on Disney+. And I presumed it would go to Disney Premiere, but it didn't, so it is available for everybody to watch. And it is really, really good fun. I think it does help, though, if you are a gamer, because there are a number of gamers, including an Irish gamer, uh, in this who kind of make kind of appearances. And there are lots of references as well to other games. Um, for example, it, it's been compared to Ready Player One, for example, the Steven Spielberg film of a couple of years ago. Uh, when I watched that, I didn't really know what I was watching a lot of the time. I was just enjoying what I was watching. Um, I watched this and that one with my 20-year-old. She knows these games inside out, so she was very excited as we are watching it because she, of course, gets all uh, the kind of references that many who uh, don't game play uh, won't get. You don't necessarily need to know, though, and you don't need to be a game player to kind of enjoy this because uh, the action sequences are very, very well done, and it is very, very funny. And uh, there's a lot of CGI, yes, although it, I saw an interview with um, with Ryan Reynolds who said they tried to do as many practical effects as possible, which was kind of surprising to me because the whole screen looks as if it's just one big special effect, uh, but it isn't. And um, and it's very, very well worth we're worth watching. Jodie Comer here, she's uh, she's very good. Ryan Reynolds is doing, as I say, his shtick. It's directed by Sean Levi, uh, who is a very, very good director. I mean, he's directed a lot of movies in the past, like uh, um, Ripple, he directed um, Arrival, he directed Rogue, he directed uh, The Internship, a lot, of, a lot of kind of comedy kind of um, action movies. And so he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's up to, and he's made a terrific job of this as well. So what I would say to you is, that if you, have you, you haven't seen this, have you? No, no, I haven't, no. I'd still recommend you, because I still think you'll enjoy it, even though you're, you're not a gamer, you don't have to be a gamer. I think it's, uh, it was hugely enjoyable. Great action sequences, great special effects, and it is very, very funny. Okay, well done, well done. As you say, if you are into gaming, or if young people in the house into gaming, they will definitely love it. So it's Free Guy, mark it out of 10. I'll give it nine. Nine out of ten. Okay, and that's yeah. on that's on Disney. Now, your second movie is called Respect. And the minute I saw the name of the movie, I was thinking, oh, Rita Franklin and the song Respect. And that's exactly what it is. It's about Rita uh, Franklin. That's, uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's kind of a really, really old-fashioned kind of biopic, you know, which we've seen many times before. And I suppose, if anything, if there's been a criticism of it, it's because of the fact that it is so old-fashioned and dated. And as I say, it's kind of, uh, we've seen... 
films like this very, very much done in this way in the past. Personally, I had no problems with that at all because a lot will kind of... Um, I was going to say it will depend on whether or not you like this music. Practically everybody does. Everybody loves Aretha Franklin. She was an extraordinary star. And this is basically the story of her life. It kind of reminded me in some ways of uh, the kind of life story of Tina Turner. Uh, because um, when uh, Aretha grew up as a young girl, uh, her parents were divorced. She was living with her father. He was a minister. And he was very, very con- one of these very, very controlling men. Uh, when she would meet her mother, uh, her mother realized that uh, the young girl, Aretha, had a, had a talent. She had a terrific voice, and she recognized that. Um, and she once said to her, uh, at one stage in the film, she said, look, your father does not control your voice. The voice belongs to you, and always remember that. And so as the father's kind of controlling, very much controlling, and sometimes abusive kind of um, ways, um, begin, of course, uh, to kind of, um, you know, invade the conscience of Aretha, and she begins to kind of rebel against that, uh, much to her father's kind of distaste, because as she got older, uh, she wanted to sing soul. She didn't want to sing the kind of songs that they were singing in the, in the local church, so she does rebel. She rebels, uh, you know, by dating some of the kind of local kind of bad boys, who are also, unfortunately, uh, rather kind of uh, aggressive and abusive to her at times. But it's her kind of inner strength that makes her kind of, you know, you know, you know, work her way through all of that. And that's all here on the film. And that, and as I say, that's very similar kind of, kind of to Tina Turner's kind of background. And then it gets to the stage where she decides at one stage, okay, this is it. I don't want these men to control my life anymore. I'm going to do it all by myself, basically. And uh, and she starts to produce the kind of music um, that she wants to produce. And it's, I think it's those sections of the film which are uh, when when the film is at its finest, when she's in studio, when she's... And by the way, I should point out, she's played here by Jennifer Hudson, who, of course, perfect. is a megastar, has a mega voice, yeah, and can perfect. do an incredible Aretha Franklin uh, impersonation. And um, and that's when the film is at its best, I think, for me. For example, the, the title, uh, Respect, when she is in studio with a mainly white band, by the way, who initially, of course, look upon her uh, kind of with rather distaste because they think, well, who does she think he is? Because she comes in and tells them basically how they should play. And, uh, but of course, their respect for her um, kind of rises when they realize that not only is she a great piano player, not only is she a great singer, but she can write great songs. And it's when they're in studio doing respect, I think, is, is one of the highlights of the film for me when they're working it out. She's telling them, no, this is what I want you to do. And she's basically coaching this band on how to kind of produce this uh, extraordinary song. Uh, it's outside of that when I think the problem, the, the, the film does have its problems. One of the criticisms was that, you know, the, 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 the politics of the time were constantly in your face all the time, and that uh, that was kind of not necessary. But for me, I was perfectly fine by that. I mean, I didn't realize that uh, her father was friends with Martin Luther King. And in fact, she referred to Martin as Uncle Martin. She was that close to him. And so the civil rights kind of um, fight of the 60s and 70s was something that was very, very important to her. So politics were always part of her and uh, her her makeup and um, as well as just being a great soul singer um, it's very long and that's one of the problems I think that many people had it's two hours 25 seconds uh, it's two hours 25 minutes long which is long but I didn't find that because I was enjoying it so much I was enjoying the music I was enjoying uh, Jennifer Hudson's performance and if you love Aretha you will love this because she's she's no longer with us. She's, she died a few years ago, didn't she, Rita Franklin? She died in 2018, I think, yeah. Ah, OK. All right, OK. Uh, so, respect. OK, Mark, it out of 10? I'll give that nine as well. Nine. I would have given the ten, but it's just too long, that's it. <laughs> OK. And is that in the movies or is that streaming or where is it? That is streaming, but it, it was expensive. It was seventeen ninety nine, so it's not the cheapest out there, so be aware of that. But oh. it is worth it if you get a group of friends uh, together. and you Make a nice uh, night out of it. 
I'd certainly recommend it, yeah. Okay, thank you for that. Listen, have a lovely week and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And just a couple of WhatsApps in. Uh, Interesting one from Dennis listening to us in Oxford in England to the listener who's got this set of dentures and wondering no longer of use to the person uh, what, what to do with them. And well, Dennis has sent me on a piece about the disposal of old dentures. You can actually recycle them because at the end of the day, they are made out of a plastic and how you recycle them. Now, this is from Dennis in Oxford. So this obviously is in the UK, but maybe it's the same here. Check in with your dentist. Many dentists take back old dentures and then they send them back on to the technicians and they're somehow recycled. So if people want to check in, that listener wants to check in with the dentist uh, and find out, are they will they take them back for you? But they, they, they it is possible to recycle recycle them and of course anything we can do to recycle because we don't want things ending up in a landfill and a final text in from Marie to say Patricia I understand that some vaccinated people feel that unvaccinated people are taking everybody else's ICU beds however could the same not be said about a lung cancer patient who have been smoking heavily all of their lives and that's the reason they got lung cancer also it was their choice but we don't go pointing fingers at them by the way I am vaccinated myself but I do believe strongly in Live and let live. That's kind regards from Marie. So that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick's with you for the afternoon. We're back with you Monday morning at 10. On to that, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.